And it's amazing as we come into uh, chapter 3, he gives us the qualifications of those who would be pastors, teachers, preachers, evangelists, so forth. Uh, he gives us what it means to, to shy away from demonic influence and satanic influences. And he teaches us all, all these things that we need to know about the ministry. And now he turns his attention towards widows. And I have to be honest with you, I was pretty ignorant about this passage because my entire life, all I've ever heard was, you got to take care of widows. And uh, if you are a widow here today, I want you to know we want to take care of you. We want to help you. We want to be the church that God wants us to be. But as we look into this week's text of Scripture, we are going to be moving into what I believe is a very misunderstood passage of Scripture. And before we look at what I believe the Bible teaches concerning widows in the church, let me just share a few thoughts. Uh, there is a, a specific definition to what God calls and what God's Word calls a widow and somebody who is not a widow indeed, or a genuine widow. Um, but I do believe, despite that biblical definition, we want to be kind. Because it tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially those who belong to the household of God. So there is an inerrant responsibility for us as children of God to take care of those around us, to love those around us, to let our love be an action. In other words, if we know to do good and don't do it, then it is what? Sin. So in other words, we want to be kind. We want to show God's love to those who have a genuine need, whether they're a widow or whether they're an orphan or whether they're anyone else in the church that has a specific need that needs to be addressed. Uh, it could be anything. It could be an illness. It could be a meal. It could be a... You fill in the blank. But the bottom line is, he says, if we have an opportunity to do good, we should what? Do it. And sometimes that gets us in trouble because we have the idea that, well, somebody else will take care of it. You know, just like that old acapella song. Somebody said that everybody should do all the important things that somebody should do, that nobody did. You know, let's be the church. And I'm thankful that many of you are are acting like you should act as part of being the body of Christ. And when somebody has a need and you're willing to give a meal or or go to their house and to help clean or do whatever it is. We should be doing those things. Despite. But Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 29 goes even a little bit further. <clears throat> and I think if you back up just a couple of verses, verses 27, 28, you see that there was a, a an opportunity, a command, if you will, where God says you to give a tenth of what you have. But there is a reason behind it. In verse 29 it says, Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates may come. In other words, as they were harvesting the land, as they were giving to the Lord, they were to leave some behind. Why? Because there are going to be those who are in genuine need that need a helping hand. And as they were to go through their fields, they were to leave a portion for those who had that need. And widows were, of course, mentioned amongst them. It says, eat and be satisfied. They wanted the, the resident alien, the fatherless, the orphan, in other words, the widow within your gates to come and eat and be satisfied. And he says, and the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. He says very clearly, if you are willing to help those that are genuinely in need, God says, I will bless you for your endeavors. So if we put two and two together, we should what? Help those who have genuine need. And by doing so, God says, I will bless you. And then he goes on in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, he says, learn to do what is good. Now, this is kind of a, an oxymoron a little bit in my mind, and maybe it presupposes something, and I say that quite often, is that when he says do something, it presupposes that they're what? Not doing it. 
So, when he says to learn something, it kind of presupposes the fact that they've what? They don't know it yet. So he's telling them to do it. And so he's telling them to do something that doesn't come natural to many of us. He says, learn to do what is good. In other words, there may be some things that they have not put into practice yet. He says, I'm telling you to learn to do this. Because it's not natural. Most of us have a natural tendency to take care of Number one, me, myself, and I. I'm, I'm actually taking care of three people and taking care of myself. You know, we have this idea that I have a, 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 a responsibility to take care of my family, and we should, and we do, and that's right and good. But he says, learn to do what's good, and then he clarifies what that good may be. Pursue justice, justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless or the orphans. Plead the widow's cause. So once again, part of doing good is helping in these areas that he has listed subsequently. And then in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, I will come to you in judgment and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who press the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies. I have to admit, I get very irritated at people who take advantage of older folks. Uh, I remember a few years ago, Shirley, I'm sorry, I just come to my mind, i got to use you as an example. Somebody took advantage of her who was in their snow plowing her driveway. And uh, I took it upon myself, I said, I'm going to take care of this from now on. The bottom line is somebody charged her a bill, and then they came back, even after she paid for the whole season, they kept sending their bills after each, each time they came. And I went up to Shirley, and she was telling me about it. And I said, Shirley, who, who, who was that person that did that to you? Oh, Pastor, it don't matter. It's over. I said, no, really. I, I'm just kind of curious who did it. No, Pastor, don't worry about it. She goes, I know you. I don't know if she remembers that or not, but I was willing to go to see who this person was. I wanted to share some devotional concepts with them. I get tired of people who take advantage of older people or other people who can't defend themselves. We are to take care of people who are in genuine need and cannot take care of themselves. But, according to God's Word, we have that obligation. However, taking care of must be defined scripturally. And this is where I say in this text of Scripture, I think is a very misunderstood passage. Now, as I go forward and give what God's definition is, what God's Word says regarding the widow, please don't misconstrue that we're not going to take care of you if you are not in this specific category. But God's Word does describe it. And not only does He describe it, He gives the rationale behind why He says what He says in this passage. So, if you would bear with me as we go through this. So, taking care of must be defined. And so, as a pastor, let me just tell you, this is a matter of fact. As a pastor, I've had numerous phone calls over the years whereby somebody feeling bad for a widow says, hey, pastor, you got to do this for so-and-so. And you fill in the blank. It could be anything from buying a, lar- a yard service to remodeling a house to doing this to doing that. I've had I've had people call me and say, "Pastor, you have to do this. They're a widow." And I think to myself, "No, I can't do that. I can't do that." And there's a reason why I couldn't do it. I don't have the manpower. I don't have the time. I don't have the funds. I don't have the resources to do just anything that anybody needs done at any point in any time. I think you guys don't understand that. And then they would even go so far as to say to that person that they t- 
told me about is that, oh, by the way, I told them that you'd be getting in contact with them to set it up the time to do it. That's pretty bold. But I've had numerous phone calls like that over the years. And in my heart, I wish I could snap my fingers and say, boom, done. I really do. There are so many times where I want to do something for somebody, but I just can't. But not just me. We as a church just can't. So that's why God defines who it is that needs those kinds of things. So, as we go on, it says, furthermore, they are told that individuals who, um, or these types of comments come, so does the Bible say about the church, what does the Bible say about the church's responsibility to take care of widows? And I think some of us are going to be shocked here. So let's look at the text here. Verse, or chapter 5, verse 3 says, support the widows who are genuinely in need. Genuinely in need. Now, here's a circumstance that all of us, if we were to, if I were to ask every one of you in this auditorium this morning, what does it mean to be genuinely in need? I promise you there'll be ten different definitions of that. They may be similar, but they will vary from one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, I've had people call the church and say, hey, uh, I, I need funds for my electric bill. Okay. I get that. To some people, that's a genuine need. Um, Maybe they have uh, medical devices that need to keep running. Maybe you know, maybe they're legitimate. I've had other people call the church and say, "I need money for my vet bill. I, they, they need shots. They need their annual shots. They need they need pet food. They need the anti-worming stuff, you know, so that my pet don't die." And they have an expectation that is realistic in their minds that the church should cover. I have had all kinds of needs presented to me over the years. Uh, I, and I have a, I have a premise, right, wrong, or otherwise. I have a, I have a premise that if you have money to do this, this, and this, you probably don't need my money because you have what you need. You're just spending it in the wrong places. And so I, I literally had someone come up to my house one day, um, and I'm not casting judgment. I'm just giving you a scenario. Is that they, they wanted me to pay their electric bill, and uh, they were several months behind. But as they opened the door to their car, a 12 pack of beer. Fell out the door. There, it was rolling down the sidewalk or down, down, down my downward slope in Tippecanoe where I was living. And um, and I look in the door and they got a carton of cigarettes. And I'm just thinking, you add up all this stuff, and you know what? If you got money for all the extras of life, you got money for your electric bill. You're spending it in the wrong places. Is that a genuine need? Not in my mind. And maybe it is in yours. Maybe I mean, I'm gone to meddling. I don't. Know. I'm just, just saying. There is a definition to genuine need given in God's Word. So here it is. Um, unlike today, in that day and age, in biblical days, there were no insurance policies or pensions that might have been left to a widow. You say, well, well, well that's, duh. They didn't have Allstate. They didn't have, you know, Premier Life. They didn't have all these different names of insurance annuities and 501c, or, I mean, uh, 401ks and all these different things that somebody might have had that might have been left as a beneficiary to their spouse. We do today. Not in every circumstance, I, I understand. But if you have that, you're not a genuine widow, according to God's Word. Because you have an ability to be taken care of. See, the idea in genuine need here is the idea that I can't take care of myself. I just can't. Now, that can be defined in different ways. It may be that you can take care of yourself financially, but you can't take care of yourself physically. And there's a genuine need. So there are ways to describe this in Scripture. 
So there was, was not often a realistic way for a widow to provide for herself in this day and age. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I fully agree with that. You don't have to. Look at God's Word and define the word genuine, and he goes on to define that. So, in our day and age, if it's possible for a widow to be taken care of by means of an insurance policy or some other funds, she would not be considered to be in genuine need. The Scripture scripture actually further defines who should help a widow in need. Verse 4, and this is where we have been misunderstood in many regards. In chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first. Stop right there. Those of you that are children and grandchildren have a biblical obligation and responsibility to help take care of your mother if she is a widow, if she cannot take care of herself. You have a biblical responsibility if they indeed cannot take care of themselves. That means they don't have an insurance policy that was left. They don't have a pension. Or they're not a beneficiary. They have no one else. You are the first line of responsibility. Say, is that a big deal? Yeah. You know what I think? I think it could be revolutionary. If children across the country would start taking care of their parents who legitimately have need. Yeah, getting some elbows going here. You know, but isn't that true? Isn't that what Scripture... Am I reading into this, folks? No, I'm not. This is what God's Word says. And just in case you're saying, well, I don't have anything, you got time to prepare. You're still alive. you got time to prepare. But it doesn't just say children. It says what? Grandchildren. In some of your translations, I think, in fact, in the King James, it says nephew, but it can be translated, and it's best translated as next of kin below the children. The bottom line is God says you have a biblical responsibility to take care of the widows in your family so that they don't become neglected. Say, so I've never heard it put like this before. It's right there in black and white. Children, you have a responsibility. Grandchildren, you have a legitimate responsibility. And he says this, going on here, verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness. By doing this, you are practicing godliness in your life. Towards your own family first. And then it goes on to say why? To repay their parents for this pleases God. What does it mean to repay something? I think we all know that. It's a pretty simple definition, right? If somebody has given me something, I'm going to repay him back. They gave me a thousand bucks, I'm going to give them a thousand bucks. No, it doesn't necessarily mean dollar for dollar, penny for penny. What it means is they have given, they have sacrificed, they have given and given and given. And what we have to do in return, if needed, is to give back. Think about that. Kids and grandkids. Do you have someone struggling that's a widow in your family that's legitimately a widow? They don't have the ability to take care of themselves? You need to step forward. You need to step up. Because this is what pleases God. You see why I said in the beginning this is kind of a misguided passage from many people? A mis- 
interpreted idea for many people. So let them learn to practice godliness towards his own family. Let them repay their parents. Why? Because it pleases God for you to take care of your family. Then he goes on again, verse 5. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. So, let's look at this genuine widow. Her hope is in God. Even though she may not have much, she may not know where the next meal is coming from, she may not know how she's going to manage life, but it doesn't change the fact. Her hope is where? In God. Here's what I'm saying. I think this is what God's Word is saying. There are so many times in life that we can't depend on someone else. Has anybody ever felt that before? you got a situation, you got no one else to turn to. But there's always one that you need to turn to. And that's God. It says, her hope is in God. And what does she do? She prays and petitions God without ceasing. It's the idea of what we read about in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray unceasing. Pray at all times. It's the idea that no matter what she's doing throughout her day, she is walking with God. She's talking with God. She's making God know, making her petitions and prayers being made known to God, and God is watching over her. She prays and petitions God without ceasing. But there's something different in verse six. It says, however, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now you say, well, what in the world does that mean? Let me just give you an idea. In other words, she's been left alone and she has turned away from God and she's just living frivolously, living apart from God, and is living in sin. So she's dead already. So we're not to worry about that one as far as a responsibility to take care of them. And according to verse 7, it says, Command this also so that they will be above reproach. In other words, they're to be taught how to live. They're to be taught that you're to trust God. Put your hope in God. Put your reliance in Him and no one else. And then we come to verse 8, which once again is a misconstrued verse many times. It says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let me put this back into context, kids, grandkids. You have somebody in your family that you're not taking care of? This applies to you as well. It is the idea that there is someone in my own family that I have the ability to help and should have the ability to help, and I'm not doing it. And God says, you're acting as an unbeliever. Because if you're truly a believer, you will take care of. So often we hear this context, this in the context of a man taking care of his family. It does apply to that. But in the context of the entire passage, in the text of the entire passage, it has to deal with dealing with widows as well. So if you have a widow in your family and you are neglecting that responsibility, it says you are as an unbeliever. It's as if you have walked away from the faith, neglecting your responsibility. Wow. It's a spiritual responsibility to take care of your own family, kids and grandkids. This is why I said this could be, this should be revolutionary in our thinking. How often would, once again, I realize that there are ways to define genuine and not genuine. As I said, there may be a way for a person to take care of themselves financially, but not physically. And that's a different world. That's a different part of the spectrum. 
But where we have the ability to step forward and help them make sure that their needs are met, we should be doing it. Now, for further characteristics of what a widow that a church should be expected to take care of, I believe God's Word gives us eight different characteristics that need to be applied here. So who should the church genuinely be taking care of? Number one, we see this going on here in verse 9. It says, No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old. So there's the first one. He used enrolled on a list. Right. Because there should be a group that if they qualify, we are obligated to take care of them. But you don't make the list unless you're at least 60 years old. Somebody's saying, yes, yeah, so I've got a couple more years left. No. But though the reality is, that's what, the, that's what God were to find. At least 60 years old. Here's the premise. That older lady is probably less likely to go out and find a young, uh, another husband. If God blesses them, wonderful. Praise God. A couple of you have asked me on occasion, do you think I should get remarried? By all means, if God opens the door, walk through it. If He shuts it, don't walk through it. You know, if God is in it, step through the doorway. Uh, that's a blessing from God. If your spouse dies, I realize I can't even comprehend some of the loneliness that comes into that life. I can't fathom that. I'm a people person. I love to be around people. I can't imagine being single. I just can't. Maybe days. No, it's good. <laughs> but we understand, right? That's a lonely. For those of you that it's really fresh and real, you understand it's lonely. And those years of memories that are they're still there. And it's very real. God gives you another opportunity? Step through that. Yeah, step through that. And surround yourself with people. Number two, she should have been faithful to her husband. That's the second thing that we see there in verse uh, nine. Um, she's been the wife of one husband. That doesn't necessarily mean how many that they've had. It's the idea that you've been faithful in your marriage. That's the context. Faithful in their marriage. Number three, she should be known for her good works. And we see that in the following verse. Uh, verse 10, and is well known for good works. In other words, she has a reputation for being a good woman who has good works. Number four, she should have a reputation for having been a good mother. Uh, we see that in the following verse. Uh, actually, same verse. That is, she has brought up children. In other words, if she is mothered, she has mothered well. She took care of her kids. Going on, it says, shown she should be have been hospitable. In other words, her home was open when needed. She had the ability to open her home when there was a need. And then... The next one is interesting. She should have washed the saints' feet. Wash the saints? What in the world? I don't know about that. Wash, why, what's the context of that? Anybody see the old stories of like Bible TV shows back in the day? What kind of roads did they have? Paved asphalt? Hmm? Dirt, dust, rocky, gravel, dusty, dirty. So it was customary as, as they would come into a home. Now, my son Jake, he does not like shoes in the house, period. That's his pet peeve. But this is the idea. They'd walk into a house, and rather than walk with dirty feet throughout their dwelling, there'd be a basin of water. And the host family, oftentimes the mother, the lady of the house, 
would stop in the doorway and wash the feet, wash the dust so that the dirt and the grind didn't get carried on throughout. Right? She was willing to do that. See, that's nasty. Mm -hmm. But she was willing to do that. And then, they were willing to help the... She should have helped the afflicted, we see in the next verse. There are those who are sick, those that are ill, those that need help with their health. She's willing to do that. And then number eight, she should have devoted herself to every good work, according to verse 10. She devoted herself to every good work. So, 60 years old, been faithful to her husband, known for her good works, has a reputation of being a good mother. She's hospitable. She was willing to wash the saints' feet. She was willing to help the afflicted. And she devoted herself to every good work. So that person, we have a responsibility to help as a church. Now, here's the standard for younger women, verses 11 through 16. He says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry. This is the idea that, it's not the idea that they can't remarry, because that would be contrary to what he says later in verse 14, right? So it's not that they can't remarry. This is the picture of a younger lady who is, once again, walking in sin and rebellion and is being loose and is impatient, not waiting on God, and decides to get married to somebody who's not a believer. That's the picture in verse 11. It says, But when they refuse to enroll a younger widow for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire. In other words, they've let their desire for things, the desire they're impatient. They're not willing to wait on God to take care of them. He says, don't enroll them. Why? Because it'd be a waste of your money. It'd be a waste of it'd be not being a good steward of what God has entrusted you as a church. It says, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. In other words, what they know is right, they've stepped away from it. So at the same time, verse thirteen, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips, busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. See, once that tragic circumstance comes into their life, rather than trusting God, they began to do other things to take care of themselves and wandered away from God. That's the concept here. So, refuse to enroll a younger woman who is drawn away from Christ by desire. They'll receive the condemnation. They're idle. They gossip. They're busybodies. Don't invest in them. But, for the person who hasn't, Verse 14, Therefore I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. So he says, for the other person who is patient, waiting on God, trusting in Him, they should remarry. Why? Because they're eligible. They have the ability to. It may be that God would bless them with another husband and that they would be able to have children and manage their own house. So the standard is, for those who are willing to walk with God and be patient and trust in Him, go get married, have a family, and make sure that when you do that, you manage your house well, and God will take care of you through that new husband. There is a way to do things. They should marry. They should have children. They should manage. And not only that, he goes on and gives them one more thing. Verse 15, For some have already turned away to follow Satan, and if any believing woman has widows in her family... Let her help them. They're to help other widows. They're to help other widows. 
So, why the guidelines? Why does God get specific about who is a genuine widow and who is not? Why does He list these characteristics? Because if you're like me, and most of us are probably in that guideline of, well, you know, I grew up just thinking, well, if they're a widow and they don't have a husband, we should automatically just take care of them. We should, because according to Galatians 6.10, if we have the ability to do good, we're going to do it. Trust me. If somebody something comes across my ears that we have somebody in the church, you may not technically fit this list, but you have a need, I'm going to see what I can do to help it. That's how that's our nature, right? We want to love people. That's just loving people, right? We should do that. But the responsibility lies within these characteristics, these guidelines. You see, sometimes what comes across is somebody wants something or somebody needs something and they want us to take care of it. Let me just tell you the truth on at least several occasions. I've known some widows who've had very, very wealthy children. Very wealthy children. And the reality is, because of pride, they would not ask their children to help. They had the ability. They wanted to help. And yet, mom wouldn't ask them. I said, have you talked to your kids? Well, no, I don't want to bother them. Your kids are asking me if there's anything they can do. Talk to them. They are not genuine widows because there's a responsibility and a wherewithal for a child to help. But when there is no one else, and they've been faithful in a nutshell and obedient to God, we're going to do what we can because we have that responsibility, right? So why the guidelines? Number one, the church cannot take care of every widow that comes its way. By standard definition, just anybody who has lost a spouse, we can't. We can't. We're going to do what we can, if there's a need, we're going to try, but we cannot possibly take care of every widow that comes our way. But we have a responsibility to take care of the ones that meet the definition. Number two, the church will be more free to do other ministry if we're not tied up doing this when God says, I want you to do this. That's what he says here. Um, at the end of chapter 5, uh, if any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened. So it can help those who are legitimate in their need. Genuine in their need. So we cannot take care of every widow that comes our way. Uh, the church will be more free to do other areas of ministry. And then number three, the church can concentrate on taking care of those that we have an obligation to take care of. This is different than what I grew up hearing. It's amazing what happens when we read Scripture. It defines, it clarifies, it brings truth to what we have heard. But if we could take away a couple of things from this today, bottom line is, there is a responsibility that we have. Despite whether you fit the category, if there's a need made known, we're going to do what we can. Trust me. I want to be able to be a blessing to anybody who has a need. Widow, orphan, need, stranger, whatever. We're going to do what we can. That's the church being the church, right? Right? All three of you, that's good. Um, that's the church being the church. But there is a specific group that God says you are obligated to take care of them. But number three, you that are children and grandchildren, you have a need. In your family, if there is a genuine need, you need to step up. 
Can I just say, this kind of piggybacks off what we were talking about last week with the area of respect. It really piggybacks off that. When you love somebody and you respect them, the idea of respect and honor is the idea of giving weight or value to them. You've heard this a hundred times, and I say it all the time because I want you ingrained in your minds. To honor, to respect means to put weight on that. In other words, what is said is valuable. To really soak it up, to, to really put it as part of who you are. In the back of your minds, children, grandchildren, you should be thinking that at some point in the future, God may never call me to do that, but if there is a need, I want to be ready. I want to be ready for that. Because that's what's biblical. That's what God has commanded. This is what pleases God. The first line of responsibility comes from within their physical blood family. When that's gone, and there are no children or grandchildren, when they've been faithful and obedient to God, been faithful to His church, church takes over as best we can. There are times that we struggle financially as a church. And we can't just do everything and anything that is made known. We try, though. But God's Word gives us a qualification list, if you will, of who we have a responsibility to. And can I just say, if you are a widow, we love you. We care for you. We appreciate you. We want to honor you. And I still say, if God gives you another spouse, praise God. If it's His will, walk through the door. If He shuts it, don't walk through it. Don't kick it open. But if he does, bless you. That's the joy of marriage, the joy of companionship and loving one another and growing old together, right? That's beautiful. God blesses you with number two and is faithful. Wonderful. There's no sin in that. But God has a plan for all of us. And we need to make sure that we follow that plan, right? So, we've been challenged church, there is a group that we legitimately need to take care of. Children, grandchildren, there's, if there are people in your family that fit this bill, you need to take care of them. And let's see what God will do, because this could be revolutionary. We're not shifting the responsibility to the state someday. We're taking up that mantle. And we're taking care of them. Let's pray.